1: here you go here you go yeah.
0: enough already that's the nothing personal hope of the day for Wednesday January 10th 2024 enough already i've had enough of the kimmel Rodgers, McAfee, ESPN situation. But of course, I can still get one more lead segment off of it. Not that I'm trying. I really was struggling with today's show with Coca because there is something that's very important to cover that happened between Kimmel and McAfee yesterday and Rogers, And it's just important for people to understand what's going on inside ESPN and why this is such a struggle and why this story continues to go. And I question myself, do I give it another day? Do I talk about it again? But I owe it to you. I owe it to me. So I guess my word of the day and hope of the day is enough already after today. So whatever comes up on Levitard, whatever comes up here on this show, I'm going to really hope that there are no more stories where I feel compelled to talk about it. But I'm watching the Kimmel monologue, and I didn't see it live. I, I saw Dan talk about it and question and wonder why it wasn't good enough and that it should have been better. And I watched the entire thing. And I thought that what Jimmy Kimmel did was exactly on point. My guess is he was asked by Bob Iger not to do a monologue about it at all. And Jimmy Kimmel said, of course, I have to address this. I understand that low hanging fruit may not appeal to all of us. But when you are in front of a red light and in front of tens, hundreds, or millions of people, low-hanging fruit can be very hard to resist. And talking about education with Aaron Rodgers, that the only A's he's ever seen were two when they were his name, and talking about that he never graduated college. I think in all my years with athletes, I never once, can you imagine me saying to a player, hey, you don't have a college degree. You don't deserve to talk to me about the business of baseball, or you don't deserve to understand anything about the world because I've got a diploma and you don't. I never really would argue with athletes about that. I would simply take the time to talk to them about things that they may not know about, just as they would take the time to talk to me about things I don't know about. But to call out Aaron Rodgers for not being educated, that's low-hanging fruit and silly, and it doesn't really get points. Monologues are not necessarily about taking receipts and getting points. This one was just far more personal. But to me, the way that Kimmel could have done it is that take what's personal, which is you being called the pedophile and explaining that that's not a joke. We have an honor among thieves. And the honor is that that's a line none of us go to we'll talk about many things, many people who are corrupt. We'll talk truth to power. We'll talk about our own political views. We'll talk anti-Trump. We'll talk about the way he looks. We'll talk about the way Biden trips. We'll talk about all of that. But we don't cross the line into pedophilia. So when Rogers did that, that forced Kimmel to respond to that. And I'm okay with him responding to that, but then don't make it part of a joke monologue. Respond to it by saying, hey, this is not, going to be part of a monologue. This is not going to be part of a joke. I am merely here to tell you what I tweeted, which is he better shut up or I'm going to sue him because all of the fun and games that we all have and all of us trying to get ratings and trying to get clicks and trying to get viewers and all of us trying to make money, that's fine. And I'm all in for whatever McAfee's trying to do with Rogers, paying him a million dollars, bring it on. But we don't do that. Then if you want to go into jokes about Aaron Rodgers and vaccines, fair game. You want to talk about Aaron Rodgers and politics and ayahuasca, or ayahuasca, I can never say it, or darkness or any of the things you want to talk about, fine. So I thought that the monologue was problematic in and of itself. And I was hoping that ESPN would say to McAfee, don't let Rodgers address this. If he's planning on addressing it, then we don't want him on the show. Because eventually, someone has to stop. And Kimmel gave an opportunity to Rogers to apologize. There was no reason for that apology to take place on the McAfee show. It could have taken place in a private conversation with Rogers calling Kimmel or even publicly tweeting at him or in some such way a video on social media. But I don't want ESPN, if I'm running ESPN, I don't want to be the ring in which this back and forth continues to fester. So, Rodgers gets on McAfee. And I had expectations for how that would go because Iger speaks to Jimmy Pitaro, who speaks to Norby Williamson, who speaks to Mike Foss, who speaks to Pat McAfee. And it is made very clear that if Rodgers is coming on, this is what we need to have happen. McAfee says, hey, I don't know what he's going to say, but I'm going to give him the opportunity to say it. That was ESPN's chance to not allow it, but they allowed it, and then Rodgers makes things worse. It's really incredible. It's not that I think something's wrong with Aaron Rodgers, though there may be. It's not that I'm worried about his mental faculties, though I should be. I just think that Aaron Rodgers suffers from a level of delusion that is very common among athletes and executives. And it's hard when you are surrounded by sycophants. It's hard when you're surrounded by adulation. It's hard when you are incredibly rich, incredibly famous. It's hard not to think that your shit don't stink. And that's your fault. And I don't mean to put anybody down in the audience or anybody watching this live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. But our popularity comes from you, the adulation, the negativity that we get, we're able to ignore because there's enough positivity. When there's not enough positivity to outweigh the negativity, that's what being canceled is, or that's what being retired is, or that's what getting out of the business is. The existence of negativity and positivity is what we all search for because what we are all guarding against is apathy. So strong opinions, one way or the other, is the fuel that feeds us and pays us. So Aaron Rodgers and hating on Aaron Rodgers or loving on Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't actually change how he views what he thinks and how he thinks it. So whether he's reading books or whether he's speaking to people, this has been going on in Hollywood forever. How often have we spoken about or have you read about actors in Hollywood taking political stances normally slanted to the left, where they are trying to talk to you about something that you feel they probably don't know enough about, but they're trying to give you their views and make you feel badly that you don't agree with the way they think. How often does that happen? Aaron Rodgers is just doing the same thing. He covers it up by saying, oh, it's okay if I just want everyone to have their free choice. I want the government to be transparent. Conspiracy theories happen to be correct. But what Aaron Rodgers is really saying is that I know something you don't know. I have information you don't have. But when it comes to pedophilia, Aaron Rodgers said on The McAfee Show, hey, I wasn't saying that Jimmy Kimmel's a pedophilia guy, a pedophile. I'm just saying that there's a list that's going to come out, and people aren't going to be happy about it. And Jimmy Kimmel took it wrong. So I'm not apologizing. I'm saying that Jimmy Kimmel misheard me, and his entire reaction was an overreaction. And you could see the camera work of the McAfee show. Many times they had Rogers on an ISO cam. Then they go back to the try with McAfee on the left side of your screen because it was very clear that ESPN wanted to have separation between McAfee and Rogers. And that's the sort of separation that I think you're going to see going forward, because Rogers not only didn't apologize, but he doubled down in many ways by calling out Mike Foss, who was the ESPN. I don't want to call him a flunky, but he's not. He was the, you know, we do this super side note here, Coca. It's okay to talk about this, I believe. When there are certain things that we had to announce as a team I would decide who was making those announcements and I would do it according to what the announcement was and what I thought the reaction to the announcement was going to be. And there were many times that I wore it and that I made announcements and I said things that were not positive, that were not going to be received well, and that were going to actually cost me in negativity. And that's when I would lean on my views of just no apathy. But there were certain things that we would have other people announce, whether it's the head of stadium operations, whether it was the VP of marketing, whether it was the VP of sales, whether it was the assistant general manager, the general manager, the manager. And the way that we would decide is that we would work in conjunction with our PR people, PJ Loyola, the head of our PR, my consigliere, and we would figure out who we wanted to be associated going forward with the remarks that we were making, with the information that we were disseminating. For when people google it going forward or when a story is cited reporting what it is that happened with our team who is the name that will be associated with the comment espn does the exact same thing and they decided in that moment right when the rogers mcafee situation first took place that they were going to have mike foss who is a senior vice president of digital and studio production not a schlepper by any stretch but not jimmy pataro not norby williamson and certainly not bob Iger, and they were going to have him come out and say in a statement he's the one who was associated 4869 he was the one associated with the statement whose name was there when they said when espn said hey what happened on mcafee that what rogers did was dumb and factually inaccurate but that left him open to Rodgers for whatever ridiculous reason, thinking that Mike Foss was the one who thought that or wanted to say that. He goes out and says, Mike Foss, you're not helping. You don't know what you're saying. You don't understand. And by the way, I don't work for you. It backfired on ESPN. Having Mike Foss do that, make that statement, Having McAfee not force Rodgers into either silence or compliance, all of it kept this story going for yet another day. And now they're in danger. The danger they're in is that you may have a situation where Jimmy Kimmel, I was about to say Sidney Kimmel, who's a movie producer, you're about to have a situation where Jimmy Kimmel and Pat McAfee might be saying to themselves, Can we, one more day? What do we got? One more round? More people watched my show, there was an uptick. More people were looking for Rodgers on McAfee. It is a ratings bonanza. And ESPN has been pretty clear that the McAfee linear ratings are not good enough in that leak, whoever did the leak, McAfee claiming it's Norby Williamson. Likely it was, but who knows? ESPN leaks stuff all the time, purposeful leaks, purposeful leaks. As nothing personal, fans, you know all about purposeful leaks. It's a very important part of a strategy. But the danger of actually taking this too far and not believing it's enough already is that it could actually turn the negativity and the positivity, the sides that people are taking, it could turn into apathy. And nothing hurts worse than a channel change. So I think it's going to be enough already. I think that, as I said yesterday, I'm sticking to it, very much sticking to it. I do not believe Aaron Rodgers will be on the McAfee show next season. I believe that uh, ESPN does not have as much power over McAfee as people think, but I do believe that there will be a change in terms of him as a weekly guest because even McAfee is saying to himself, man, it's just not worth it right now. Saying that something's not worth it, that is an important business decision. It's important that you do in your personal life. It's important you do it every day. When you are setting out to do a task and it takes longer than you expect and you stop before you finish and say, oh, it's not worth it anymore. Or you're in a relationship and say, oh, God, it's not worth it anymore. Or you're at work and you're doing a project. God, this is not worth it anymore. I'm stopping. When you are running a company, you have to be very careful how you arrive at a conclusion that something's not worth it anymore. One of the things that owners need to do And one of the things that I told you is, man, 30% of what I did on a daily basis was being a referee, deciding who I was going to let win a jump ball between a department, between baseball and marketing or baseball and sales or marketing and sales, when we were going to let the owner have an owner's prerogative, get a signing or get a waiver, send a player down, make a trade, whatever. Knowing when something's not worth it and knowing when and how to make a ruling in a power struggle are very important parts of leadership. Power struggles, that's something that you all have in your place of business, no matter what level you're at. We like to say in sports that the power struggles happen in an unusual frequency, but that's just us pretending that we're all important being in sports. Power struggles within a sports team are happen at the same rate as power struggles in any other company. The thing about a power struggle is that you have to put an end to it. You can't have years and years of two fighting factions within your company, because if you do, eventually it leads to a decrease in productivity. In the beginning, a power struggle does not impact productivity because you do not know yet when it first starts which way you want to go. And generally, you use several tent poles in your strategy of how to decide who wins a power struggle. You use revenue. You use profit. use personality. You use size of department. Who's in charge of more people? What's the general consensus of one person versus the other person in the company at levels below the people and above the people. So you have different tempos, different ways, different markers, data points where we're using decisions. When you've got a coach and a general manager who do not get along, when you have a manager and a general manager who do not get along, you cannot let that go. The Tennessee Titans had a situation where Mike Vrabel and their new GM, Ran Cartham, They were not getting along. And the reason they were not getting along is there was a power struggle where Mike Vrabel wanted to run a team the way that he had grown up, the way that he had understood. When you're the coach of the team, you're the GM of the team, you're in charge of all player personnel. I'll decide who's on my team. And on top of that, I'll decide when they're on my team, what they're going to do when we're in between the lines. GMs say, no, no, you take the 53 guys I give you every week, come up with a game plan play the game. And if the players don't play well, it's going to be on you because I'm not going to take the blame because I'm giving you great players. The manager, the coach says, how do I win the Kentucky Derby with a bunch of donkeys? I can't win a football game with guys who can't even remember my playbook or understand what it is we're supposed to do it. Or if they do understand it, can't execute it. And by the way, I can't stand being around you. Coaches and GMs and presidents are together all the time if you do not get along personally, it can be successful professionally, but it's much easier when you get along personally. But when you believe the GM is trying to usurp your power, a manager or a coach will immediately buck like a bronco and try to win the power struggle by going to the owner. The owner, the ultimate arbiter of a power struggle between a coach and a GM, thinks about who do I let win? If I let the coach win, what I'm saying is I can hire some sort of Patsy GM and this coach will make all personnel decisions and I'm putting all my eggs in his basket. If I let the GM win, then whoever coach I bring in, whoever coaches my team, knows that I'm loyal to the GM and they better not say one word about our player personnel They better just go do their job. The owner of the Titans decided yesterday that she was going to award the power struggle victory to Rand Carthon. In a shocking move, Mike Vrabel lost the power struggle and got fired. I couldn't believe it. The reason I couldn't believe it, in baseball, GMs win power struggles. GMs are more important than managers. They're more important to your bottom line. They're more important to your success on the field, off the field, everywhere throughout the organization. It's not even a question. In football, I believe it's not a question either. I believe the head coach is more important than the general manager. You can have a bunch of salary cap guys who are figuring out dead cap money and who to sign and how to sign them, who to give guarantees to and how that can work. But in terms of choosing personnel, putting the team together, I'm going to side with the coach in football. So I was shocked that she did it. And then I was even more shocked by the way in which she did it. So Amy Adams Strunk is the owner. You may remember her. You may remember the name Bud Adams used to own the team. Anyway, so she didn't give a press conference instead after the firing, which was a complete surprise to everybody. She spoke to her own website. And what she really wanted you to know and what she wanted her fans to know is the usual drivel of, hey, we're trying to win here. All we care about is the fans and winning. But she got into an entire diatribe about why she didn't trade Mike Vrabel to another team and instead fired him. And all I kept thinking while watching that and reading that is, I don't understand what the end game was. Was she trying to explain to her fans why she did not get a return on her coach? That's not what the fans want to know. The fans want to know why you chose the coach. That's it. Instead of a statement about how difficult it is to trade a coach and how there's a lot more to it than you think and how you need multiple willing parties and you need to have identified who the coach is going to be for their trade to take place, whatever her reasons were, I've traded for a manager before. We traded for Ozzie Guy and We traded with the White Sox. Trading for a coach is totally doable. Trading for a manager. But I would never go out publicly And say, well, we fired our manager and we released him because we couldn't trade him. That's what we do with players. It's called designating them for assignment in baseball. When you have 10 days to either trade a guy or if you can't trade him, you release him. It's why you hear about a lot of trades that happen and you wonder, wow, they didn't give up a lot for that guy. Well, yeah, of course. You don't give up a lot for a player who's been designated because in eight days he's going to be released because the team who designated him has no choice. With a coach, it doesn't work that way. The coach is under contract and the coach has the right to continue to collect money and to decide whether or not he wants to go to another team. Players don't have that right. When players sign a contract, there is an assignment provision in the standard player contract. The assignment provision allows for one team to assign that player contract to another team without permission or approval of the person under contract. You don't have that in your business, do you? Can you imagine if you worked at Morgan Stanley in New York and they had the right to assign your contract to Morgan Stanley in London or to Goldman Sachs in Ohio? Those assignment clauses are unique to sports and part and parcel of a collective bargaining agreement. When coaches sign contracts, they do not sign the standard player contract. They sign different contracts that do not have assignment clauses. And if you were to assign the contract, it requires prior approval and permission. Who doesn't know that? So why is she even talking about it? This I can't tell you. So I wonder about Mike Vrabel. Is he relieved to be away from RAN? Is he going to find a job? How quickly does he go to the top of the list? Does he become a Craig Council where now that he's available, we're going to take him? We're going to fire our guy who we didn't plan on firing in order to get him. Well, whoever takes Mike Vrabel, the only thing that I can suggest to you, he's not going to go anywhere where he's not in charge of everything because he sees what it's like. And unless he gets to choose his own GM, which no one's gonna give him, then he might as well just be the GM. So any team that's taking Vrabel, if you are a GM of a team and your owner is calling you today, hey, what do you think? Should we call on Mike? Think he'd be better? You better start getting your resume together because what the owner is really doing is taking away your power. Because Vrabel's not going to be coach somewhere, He's going to take over the whole damn thing. All right, when we come back, we are going to review the new Dan Levy movie. I'm going to tell you a Dan Levy story, tell you what I did yesterday, and then I'm going to talk about what happened in my pick of the day. Spoiler alert, we won it, but the coach of the Raptors started a conversation that I actually want to finish. We'll be right back.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. ramp.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Today is Wednesday, January 10th. Hope you're doing well. Coke and I are here every day, 8 a.m. Tell your friends about us if you're hearing us for the first time. And in December, we had more first time listeners than in any other month. So thank you. Keep going. Spread the word. We do appreciate your loyalty. If you're new to the show, we've got different segments we do. We review a movie every day. I'm reviewing a movie today called Good Grief. Good Grief was written and directed and starring Dan Levy. You may know him as David from Schitt's Creek, one of my favorite shows of all time. This is a movie about a man whose husband dies suddenly and prematurely and how Dan Levy plays a character who was then forced to lean on his friends and figure out how to go forward. And it's really a movie about friendship. It's a movie about love. It's a movie about the role that friends play. It's a movie that was good, not great. I am always loyal to Dan Levy. I will watch anything he does. I'm so thankful for what he did with Schitt's Creek and everything else that he does that, that he has earned the benefit of every doubt. It's a movie that if you're watching, watch it. I would not do it as a first date movie. I would not do it. Uh, it. It doesn't make you necessarily cry. It is a fine movie while packing a suitcase or while cleaning a closet. It's a good movie to have around. It's good to be reminded about friendship. It's good to be reminded how talented Dan Levy is. I wanted to talk about what happened to me yesterday. Coca, if you will indulge me on this, please. My daughter is the production manager at Watch What Happens Live. Watch What Happens Live is a late night talk show starring Andy Cohn on Bravo. It's a very big show. It's a nightly show. He's got A-list guests. It is. Uh, you may know Andy Cohn from Real Housewives. It is... Uh, I couldn't be more proud that my daughter is a part of that, not because she's in the same industry I am, because of the work she does and the grind, the daily grind is I know very well of a daily show and how hard Coco works as a producer of Nothing Personal and the number of people working on Watch What Happens Live. I was invited by my daughter to go see the taping yesterday of the show. And I went and I wore my shirt that I had bought in at auction, a actual shirt worn by Dan Levy uh, during Shit's Creek. He sold his wardrobe for charity, and I bought the only shirt that would fit me, and I wore it. It's the shirt that has like five stars, five stars, Givenchy. Anyway, I'm not trying to. So I get to the taping, and all of a sudden, I have to tell you what was happening, Coca. And we didn't talk about this pre-show, but I must talk to you a little bit about it. When you go to a taping as an audience member, you wait outside the building where the studio and you wait online with the rest of the studio audience. And then you get brought in, you get spoken to, here's the rules, here's what you can do, what you can't do. And then you sit in the audience and you watch the taping, then the taping ends and you leave. And it's really cool to be a part of. And I did get a chance, Kira came by and said hello while I was in the waiting area. And that was amazing, I know she was doing her work. And I was immediately brought back to all of the times that my father came to baseball games. And I started wondering to myself, did I treat my father properly? Was I good? And so one of the things that is, um, that I was thinking is that, did my dad ever feel uncomfortable? when he was waiting outside the clubhouse and I was in the clubhouse talking to players. Did he wanna be invited into the clubhouse? When he was and he was there when we celebrated the World Series and the pennant and beating the Giants and clinching the wild card, I tried to involve him as much as possible, but I always was busy. So I would always come say quick hello and then run away. And I felt so badly yesterday because I felt like I wasn't being treated In a special way that I wasn't getting anything for being her dad and I wanted everyone to know I was her dad, but she didn't tell anyone. And then I thought back to the way I was with my dad and I was exactly that way. The way she was with me is exactly how I was with him. And I wanted to call my dad and ask him and say, are you good? And I can't because he's not with us anymore. It was a bad day, honestly. I mean, it was a great day, I was so proud of her, but I just wanted to call him and ask and apologize and wonder, did he ever feel marginalized? Was I weird to feel that way yesterday, to feel ordinary or unimportant, where I wanted the world to see how great she was and see how great I am because I had a daughter like that? Anyway, I never got a chance to ask him, and I hope that, I but I did it. I did exactly to him what was done to me. And it wasn't a bad thing that was done to me. It was exactly what you do. You're at work. I guess not. All right, Coco, let's take a break. Have we taken a break? When we come, we have not. We have taken a break. Sorry. All right, one second. Welcome to nothing personal. All right, let's go to a topic. I don't know why I got into that. I do know why I got into that, because I was all inside my head the entire day yesterday. Nothing personal, pick of the day. We're hot. We were 0-4. We're up to 3-4. and 4. Let's go. We had the Raptors getting 5.5 against the Lakers. The Raptors lost by 1. So that was our pick. We won it. But did you see what happened after the Raptors game? Or did you see the game in and of itself? The final score was 132-131. And the Lakers, they were covering right at the end, but sometimes were the beneficiary of late Point Sometimes we lose because of that. Last night we were the beneficiary. But there was a major free throw disparity in that game. And free throws are something that to the untrained eye, you can say it is totally unfair. And this is exactly what I did. When I was a Knick fan going against Jordan's Bulls every single game, it was unfair. Why does Jordan get to the line so much and Patrick Ewing doesn't get to the line enough? Why, when he drives to the basket, do the refs call a whistle every time? When we drive to the basket, whether it's Starks or Doc Rivers, whoever it is, the referees, um, Derek Harper, whoever, Anthony Mason backing someone up, the refs swallow their whistles. Why does that happen? That was the beginning of people realizing what a superstar league is. The Raptors know that LeBron James is a Superstar. The refs know that LeBron James tends to flail. He tends to flop. He tends to complain. Jokic does the same thing. But the referees also know that LeBron James and the Lakers, they are going to get their lion's share of the calls. And the other teams know that too. Last night, for a quick minute, the new coach of the Raptors forgot that we are a superstar league. And listen to what he said in his post-game interview
1: that's 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 outrageous what happened tonight this is completely BS this is shame shame for the referees shame for the league to allow this
0: 23 free throws for them and we get two free throws in in a fourth quarter like how to play the game I all, I understand uh,
1: respect for all stars and all of that but we have star players on our team as well how's possible a Scotty Barnes who is all-star caliber player in this league? He goes
0: every single time to the rim with force and trying to get get uh, to the, to the rim without
1: flopping and and not trying to get foul calls. He gets two uh, free throws for the whole game. How's that possible? How are you going to explain it, that that to me? They had to win
0: tonight. If that's if that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. All right, Darko, I'll explain to you. Raise your hand. If you're sure that you could pick Scotty Barnes at a restaurant. Anybody? All-star caliber, though. I love you, Darko. Darko Ryakovich is a first-year, manager, first-year coach for the Raptors. I love that he's defending his guys. I love that he's pissed off. But he knows the exact answer to his question. And if he were the coach of the Lakers, he would never have a press conference like that. Darvin Ham is not having a press conference about free throw disparity. Anthony Davis goes to the line 14 times in the fourth quarter. That's how it goes. It is more important for the league. It is necessary for the Lakers to stop their slump, to get back, because when they were kicking ass and taking prisoners in the in-season tournament, you think Adam Silver was happy about that? Of course. You think he needs that come April, May, June? You bet you're bippy. So... We would allow our manager to go off like that every once in a while, if he really needed to, to make himself feel better. But that doesn't impact the relationship in the clubhouse. The players aren't looking for the coach to have their back in that way. There's a lot of ways players want the coach to have their back, a lot. And we talk about it and we try to make sure that we put our manager in a position where he is having the back. Sometimes we even do it as executives that we have the back of the players. I remember going crazy when we've had players suspended or players having issues over catchers' interference calls and wrong calls by umpires. But I also remember what it felt like playing the Yankees in the World Series knowing that MLB wanted the Yankees to win, or what it was like playing the Cubs knowing they wanted the Cubs to win, and how pissed they were when they couldn't control the fact that Dusty Baker screwed up the pitching staff or that we have the better team than the Yankees in 03. Sometimes there's nothing you can do, but when you can control it, You do, and the way you control it is with the whistle. Which brings me to a conversation I would like to have, which is about referees. Do you feel that referees are under a greater scrutiny this year? LeBron James came out against the referees in the Jalen Brown call yesterday, and then all of a sudden that night, he's got that sort of free throw disparity. Coincidence? I don't know. You've got teams coming out. You've got players coming out you have coaches coming out, and we tend to suffer from what I like to call recency bias. Recency bias is when we think what's happening now is far greater and far more important than what happened before. So remember like the end of the Lions-Cowboys game? Oh my God, it's the end of the world as we knew it, as we know it, and we feel fine. We've been talking about referee issues for 30, 40 years of my career. As, as a child, as a teenager, as a college guy, as a law student, the conversation always was, God, these refs, these NFL refs have other jobs. They ought to be full-time so they can focus on being better. What's with these NBA referees? They have it out for us. These MLB umpires, what do they need, glasses? It's been going on forever. There's no difference now except you have more camera angles and higher definition cameras with which to criticize and point out the human errors that happen. So my response and answer to all of this selling of referees is technology and the elimination of them all. I'm in. You have a VAR in soccer. What do you need guys on the field for? You just need people to stop fights, I guess. Let the VAR call offside. Let the VAR call any sort of, there won't be any red cards and yellow cards yelling at referees because there's no one on the field to yell at. It's sort of a robot. It's a guy running up and down the field like iRobot. It's AI. Can't argue with an AI guy, can you? Tennis has no lines people anymore because they're manning the line. We don't need to have football referees figuring out if a ball crossed the end zone. Put a damn chip in the ball and put a laser across the end zone. And if there's a buzzer that goes off in the ear, touchdown. If there's a ball in the strike zone, buzzer. Not the Jose Altuve buzzer, like a a light. Strike, strike one, ball two. You want to know whether or not a foot gets to a bag prior to a ball getting on a body? Let's outfit players. We already have players wear things in their ear for pitch comm. Why not make part of the uniform that you're some sort of force field And that when you touch a base, it activates. That happens. Look, I've got a mute button right now. It's green. But when I touch it, it turns red. Can't anymore. That's the mute button that you just saw happen. You think I'm crazy eliminating all human elements. It'd be a hell of a lot easier as leagues. We tried that. We want it. To get rid of the umpire's union, it's like mana from heaven. How do we do it? We haven't found a way yet, but it's coming. Why wouldn't that be a great use of AI? Wait to see. All right, our pick today, you know the Pacers have been really good this year. You know that they got lucky with Halliburton and his grade one hamstring. I will tell you, they're saying he's gonna miss two weeks with the hamstring strain, that's if they're lucky. They're calling it grade one, which means there's, it's just, it's all a tear. It's just how torn it is and how many fibers are torn. So let's just say it's not a lot of them. A strained hamstring is a tear. It's hard to come back from that, but they're saying two weeks. The Pacers are giving seven and a half to Poole and the Wizards. And the reason why we're taking the Pacers is that are you aware that Jordan Poole is the single worst player in the NBA? The worst. Pacers seven and a half over the Wizards. We're gonna try to get early back to 500, even though Coca. We've won three times, so that's 0.27, and we've lost four, which is four. So we're still down over a unit, aren't we, at three and four? We're keeping track. davidsampsonpodcast.com. You can see what our pick of the day is, what our review is, what our word of the day is. You can also check out the merch, davidsampsonpodcast.com. You can also contact us and ask questions. All right. I want to cover one more topic, Coca. And uh, if you don't mind, I would like to do it with uh, what's happening in, uh, in baseball. Can we do that? We have a. So, you want to talk to Samson about the NFL? And I want to save that for tomorrow. The NFL had uh, uh, something happen, and we're going to save that till tomorrow. So, tune in. But, MLB, there's something going on right now with the regional sports networks that we've been talking about for a long time. You know that the leagues are involved with the bankruptcy of Bally, Sinclair, Diamond Sports because of the number of teams who have contracts like the Marlins or the Braves that have contracts with this company to broadcast their games. The object of MLB is they want to get the streaming rights from all teams and they want it all to be owned centrally by baseball so they can put them all together, and sell them to a streaming company like Amazon or Apple. Much like Major League Soccer did, much like football does with their Thursday night package, or the fact that you're going to watch the Chiefs Dolphins on Peacock this coming Saturday. The problem is MLB does not own all the streaming rights because teams, as part of their local TV deals, and I'm guilty, I did it. When Fox, who I negotiated with, asked me for our streaming rights, I said, you may have them because I need the cash. I want the $60 million per year plus $50 million upfront because I want to pay for payroll without losing money. You can take the streaming rights. Now with the bankruptcy of, it's not Fox, Fox sold it as you know. With the bankruptcy of Bally's, the streaming rights are back up for grabs. And what Bally's is trying to do is keep streaming rights for as long as possible because they view that as an important part of the asset of these contracts with the teams. There is a rumor that Amazon wanted to fund money, help pay down debt, help rescue, acquire these regional sports networks with $150 million of cash that they would infuse into this fledgling company. Yesterday, we got word that Major League Baseball does not want Amazon and would not allow Amazon to do that. Now, why would Major League Baseball have standing? The answer is they don't. The way things work when you file for Chapter 11 is there is a hearing. There is a judge in charge of what the company does who is reorganizing, who filed Chapter 11 reorganization. As a creditor of the company, which MLB is and the teams are, you have a say because you can say to the judge, hey, we want this. We want more dollars. We want fewer dollars. We want to just eliminate the contract altogether and we'll pretend that we never knew them. But the judge does not have to agree. The judge doesn't have to side with the creditors. The judge can actually side with the company that filed Chapter 11. So MLB made it clear that they do not want Amazon to be allowed to buy these networks because part of the deal that Amazon is negotiating with. Bally's, is that Amazon would get the streaming rights for these teams. MLB doesn't want that. MLB wants the streaming rights so they can sell it to Amazon for more. Amazon's trying to get the ability to stream major league baseball games by paying within a bankruptcy organizational hearing scenario versus negotiating with baseball directly and paying baseball. It's outstandingly brilliant. And the judge doesn't care about who owns the stream rights. The judge is there on behalf of the company and the creditors. So baseball says, hey, I'm a creditor. You're supposed to care about me. Don't let Amazon come in and try to suck us out, try to remove us from this. We want to negotiate with Amazon. Isn't that such a funny situation? Where MLB is saying, we want the digital rights. We don't want the digital rights to go to Amazon and we want the digital rights because we want to give them to Amazon for money, a lot of money. Of course, Amazon is saying, that's very nice baseball. We love you. Absolutely. But can we get the Yankees? No, we don't have them. Can we got the Red Sox. Nope. Not quite. Dodgers. Well, don't think so. Cubbies. Not today. It's an issue. One of the things that the NFL has and Major League Soccer has that MLB does not have is unanimity. In order to maximize the value of an asset, you need to have the full asset. Hey, I'd like to sell you my car, but I'm going to keep the steering wheel if you don't mind. And I'm happy to negotiate the engine. I'd like to have that too. Doesn't really work that way that you get the blue book value of your asset when you're not selling the complete asset. So MLB will continue on its path of righteousness, trying to figure out how to deal with this RSN nightmare. The judge will continue to have hearings, one of which is going to happen in the next 10 days. Negotiations continue to happen between Bally's, MLB, NBA, NHL, Amazon, other white knights who are coming in who are willing to fund money to try to pay down some of the debt. This is an ongoing story complicated, and we will be able to address it again. But as MLB is deciding what they want to fight against when they are crying foul, say, no, no, let us have the right to package and sell our digital rights. Do you know why they're doing that? It's just business. We'll be back tomorrow. This is nothing
1: personal.